It's good to be with you, brothers and sisters, today. Well, we have, unfortunately, in our culture today, grown fairly accustomed to sexual immorality. There's entire industries built upon it. There are apps and websites all geared towards it. There are movies, books, music that is full of it. There was a website several years ago. It was a dating website, and it was for married people to have extramarital affairs. That was the whole purpose of this website. The slogan was, you only live once, have an affair. And the big selling point for this site was that you could stay anonymous, right? You could keep it a secret. But then in August of 2015, hackers released millions of usernames and addresses and phone numbers to the public. And the repercussions of this were absolutely devastating. There were broken families, there were ruined careers, there were even people who took their own life because of this. When people who were on this list that came out were asked about it, what it was like finding out that these names had been released, they said things like they couldn't couldn't eat or sleep for days, that they felt sick and foolish, and that they were terrified of the consequences. Listen, in our text today, Solomon is going to be warning his sons and us of a sin of adultery and sexual immorality. And to set some context, when we study the Proverbs, we have to remember that this is not just a bunch of pithy sayings for us to pick and choose from. Now, there is, of course, a lot of wisdom to be had there, but we must consider them in the right context. So Solomon is writing this for his sons, and these sons will be the future kings of Israel. They will be the covenant heads. And as we saw a few weeks ago when we were looking at the Davidic covenant, as the king goes, so goes the kingdom. So if the king follows the path of righteousness, well then he and the people will be blessed. But if he is a fool and he turns aside from this path, then the people will be led astray along with him. So it is Solomon's job then as the king and the covenant head to teach the people the laws of God. So Solomon is not just merely teaching his sons how to live their best life now. He's instructing them on how to live faithfully within the covenant. That they will be the primary covenant keepers and that they are to lead the people in keeping covenant with God. Well, another thing to remember as we study Proverbs is, and this is probably obvious, but this is poetry that we're looking at. So there's a lot of imagery and repetition that we'll see. And some of the main images that we see in Proverbs that we're going to see in our text today is that there are two paths in life. You have the path of wisdom and the path of folly. 
Wisdom that is leading to life and joy and folly that is leading to death and misery. We also see two women in Proverbs. You have the forbidden woman, the woman of folly, then you have Lady Wisdom. We see that Satan is fully behind this forbidden woman, while the Lord and his ways is with Lady Wisdom. So then with this context in mind, would you open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 5? Proverbs chapter 5. And we're going to see four main points today. First, we're going to see the reason for wisdom. Second, we'll see rejecting wisdom. Third, we're going to see rejoicing in wisdom. And then fourth, we will see resting in the Lord's wisdom. So the reason for wisdom, rejecting wisdom, rejoicing in wisdom, and then resting in the Lord's wisdom. If you're taking notes, here's my attempt at a sermon in a sentence. I really wrestled with this one this week. Don't be deceived by the false beauty of sexual sin, but look to Christ instead, who is our only source of true life and joy. So don't be deceived by the false beauty of sexual sin, but look to Christ instead, our only source of true life and joy. So now if you would please stand for the reading of God's word. Uh Uh-oh. Proverbs chapter 5. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion, and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me. Do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength, and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life you groan when your flesh and body are consumed, and you say, how I hated discipline, and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. 
Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he has held fast in the cords of sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Well, so we see then in these first six verses, the reason for wisdom. So in verse two, Solomon says that it's so that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. So then our first reason for wisdom is that you might think wisely and that you might speak wisely. So discretion and knowledge are just interchangeable here for wisdom. Solomon first says that you may keep or guard discretion. In 1 Kings 3, we see when God spoke to Solomon in a dream and he said, ask what I shall give you. Solomon did not ask for money. He didn't ask for the perfect wife. No, he asked for an understanding mind. He asked for the wisdom to be able to discern between good and evil. So one theologian defined discernment as learning to think God's thoughts after him, particularly or practically and spiritually. It means having a sense of how things look in God's eyes and then seeing them in some measure laid bare. So that we also see that it's not just that you would think wisely, but that you would speak wisely. In the book of Malachi, he says that the priest's lips should guard knowledge and that people should seek instruction from their mouth for he is the messenger of the Lord. So guarding then true knowledge with our lips is speaking true wisdom. As we'll see here in a minute, the father knows that temptation is coming for his sons. And so he's telling his sons that you must be able to discern between right and wrong. And when you see right, you need to be able to affirm that. And when you see wrong, you must be able to speak against it as wrong. You also must be able to teach others. Again, like we said in in the context, it's the king's job to teach the people the law of God so that they might stay on the path. But of course, to be able to do this, you must know what true knowledge is. How could Solomon expect his sons to walk in wisdom if they had not been taught what knowledge was? Proverbs 1.7, which is kind of the motto of the entire book, says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So knowing and fearing the Lord then is the beginning of our knowledge. It's the beginning of what keeps us on this path of righteousness. But now in verses 3 through 6, we're going to see exactly what Solomon is warning his sons against. Of what they are needing to be discerning about. So this is the first of really three passages in Proverbs that 
talk about this forbidden woman and sexual sin. You really see her throughout the Proverbs, but chapter 5 and then 6 and 7 are going to have large sections of teaching on her. And we see a contrast right off the bat here. We see that the lips of the wise guard knowledge, while the lips of this woman of folly drip a deceptive honey. So rather than guard knowledge, her lips are going to attack it. And her speech, it says, is smoother than oil. But again, we quickly see in the next verse a difference between these lips from the lips of the wise. That though they look good, though it sounds pleasing, they are bitter and they are sharp. And sexual sin is so deceptive, isn't it? That it promises pleasure and happiness. Yet it just brings death and destruction. Homes and families, ministries and careers are all ruined by it. And it always starts so small. It starts with just a taste of this honey. Even just wanting to taste it. If we're not discerning, and if our lips are not guarding true knowledge, then we can easily be led to follow this adulterous woman. But where's she going? She's just wandering aimlessly. Yet her path, this path that she is not pondering, it leads to death. So Solomon here is setting up his sons then with a choice. So you are either going to listen to my wisdom and counsel that is from the Lord, or you're going to be deceived by the smooth words of this immoral woman. Her words are rivals to the Father's words. So there's a a few applications right off the bat here that I want us to consider. First, Solomon He knew that temptation was going to come for his sons. Listen, we are all created as sexual beings. So we are all tempted in sexual sin. Both men and women. Every person in here is tempted in this way. So if there's ever a moment this afternoon, or as you think about this later, where you start to think, you know, I think I got this. You know, I don't really struggle with that. You know, it's not really a thing for me. Or maybe you think, yeah, I don't think my husband struggles with that kind of stuff. Or even that my wife would never struggle with that. Let me just say, that is a dangerous place to be. That is relying on your own strength, your own wisdom, and your own understanding. And that is the way of the fool in Proverbs. Solomon is telling us here that temptation is ever present. That she is calling from the street for us to come to her door. But we must be able to discern her lies and speak truth against it. But a second thing we see here is really for parents. This should be an encouragement for us and a warning to us. Listen, are we the primary teachers about these things in our home? Are we instructing and teaching our kids 
about the difficult things that they're going to be tempted with. Even things like sex, like this, that can be awkward to talk about. Are we instructing our kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord? And I think one great way to do this is just working through a catechism with them. It's simple. Just go through a question a day with them. But it begins to teach them about the one true God. It begins to show them the things that are sweeter than this false honey that we can be deceived by. Third, are we guarding ourselves against this deceitful woman? Like I said earlier, these things always start so small. You know, we never think that we would ever take it so far as adultery. So then what's the big deal with flirting a little bit at work? Maybe sending a few text messages. Maybe we're trying to define in our own wisdom what constitutes sexual immorality. You know, if we consider the shows that we watch, the music that we listen to, the books that we read, have we altered at all what the Bible calls sexual immorality to fit our definition of it? Let's be clear, any attempt on our part to intentionally access sexually explicit material is sexual immorality. You know, in defining adultery, Jesus didn't just say that the act of being with somebody else's spouse or somebody who's not your spouse is adultery. And he says when you just look at someone with lust in your heart, that you have broken the seventh commandment. Question 109 of the Heidelberg Catechism, it asks, does God in the seventh commandment only forbid adultery? And the answer says that we are temples of the Holy Spirit, body and soul, and God wants both to be kept clean and holy. That is why God forbids all unchaste actions, looks, talk, thoughts, or desires and whatever may incite someone to them. So listen, God desires that the things that we look at to be pure, what we talk about, what we think about. So have we altered this definition at all? Or maybe you're not getting enough attention from your spouse. So you decide you're going to try and get it maybe somewhere else. So you maybe dress different when you go out. Or you talk different with coworkers. Listen, the temptation for sexual sin is all around us. We don't need to get into all the stats of the pervasiveness of it. Because we probably all know someone who has been deeply affected by this. In fact, like we've already said... Every one of us in this room has struggled in one way or another with this. And listen, I know this may sound a little strange, but that should be an encouragement to us. Because I know there are so many times where people are afraid to confess sin to others because they think, listen, I'm the only one struggling with this. I can't go to them and say this. What are they going to think of me? But friends, this is a lie that the devil uses to keep you in your sin. 
Listen, the path of wisdom leads us to confess our sin to God and to one another. We need to be reminded of of two very important things here. First, with our union with Christ. When we're united to Christ, Paul says that we are new creations. So as new creations, we now have the power of the Holy Spirit, which enables us to live in a manner worthy of his calling. It also means that those past sins that entangle us, oh, they no longer have dominion and power over us. That we have been transferred to a new kingdom with greater power. So when we are tempted, when we are seduced by this forbidden woman, oh, we look to Christ. We remind ourselves of our union with him. And we trust in his true word and his promises to us. But second, we must be reminded of our union with one another. That God has kindly given us the church. That we are not meant to live in isolation. The the New Testament authors tell us over and over that we are to confess sin to one another. That we are to guard one another. We are to encourage and build one another up and that we are to bear with one another in love. So listen, if you're in the midst of sexual sin, don't let it destroy you. Sin dies when it is brought to the light. So brothers and sisters, we must be putting sin to death. And again, one way in which we do that is with one another. We confess to one another. And then we encourage one another. We bear that burden gently with one another. And we remind each other of our union with Christ. So we've seen now then our reason for wisdom. That temptation and sin is ever present. And that we need to be able to have discernment and the ability to speak truth about it. And now we need to consider then what happens when we reject this wisdom. Verse 7, I think, sets up the tone of this section. So Solomon in verse 1 has already told his sons to listen to him. But now he says it again. He is emphasizing the importance of this. And can't you just hear it? I mean, especially if Solomon has probably already felt the effects of this sin, which I'm sure he has. I just picture him getting down to eye level with his sons. And he slows his speech down and he just says, son, listen to me. Please trust what I'm telling you. I've been there and I've done that and it does not end well. So he says in verse 8, stay far away from her. Don't even go close. Flee in the other direction. On how many of us need to hear that? How often do we find ourselves floating or flirting with this line of sin? I'll never forget when we were at the old ACT building. My oldest was maybe two. And there was a little cactus in the parking lot. And we get out to the car one day and he just knelt down by that cactus He's just looking at it. He's kind of got his hand close to it. 
I said, Harrison, don't touch that cactus. That's going to hurt you. Get in the car. He kind of looks at me. He looks back at that cactus. Boop. Touches that cactus. And then just goes to pieces because he's got little thorns in his finger now. So we spend the next 15 minutes having to pull the thorns out. And I told him, listen to me. I've touched a cactus before. Don't touch them. Listen, so many of us need this reminder. We flirt with this line all the time. Of course, we could spend so much time thinking about the ways in which we do this, the shows maybe we watch, the clothing we wear. But many of us do this, I think, with a mindset of, well, if, if I sin, then I can just go and I can ask forgiveness later. And I want you to hear these words from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones that speaks of the dangers of this. He says, be careful how you treat God, my friends. You may say to yourself that I can sin against God and then, of course, I can repent and go back and find God whenever I want. And you try it. And you will sometimes find that not only can you not find God, but that you do not even want to. You will be aware of a terrible hardness in your heart, and you can do nothing about it. And then you suddenly realize that this is God punishing you in order to reveal your sinfulness and your vileness. And there's only one thing to do. You turn back to him and you say, oh God, do not go on dealing with me judiciously. Though I deserve it, soften my heart, melt me. I cannot do it myself. And you cast yourself utterly upon his mercy and upon his compassion. So friends, are there areas in which we are flirting with the line? You know, maybe we're not walking hand in hand down the street with this forbidden woman, but are we hanging around her house? We'll see when we get to Proverbs 6, it says, if you play with fire, you are going to get burned. Don't flirt with the line. We don't play with fire. There will be consequences. And notice too what it doesn't say. It doesn't say keep away from her house unless your wife is just not giving you what you want at home. Or don't go near her house unless that temptation just won't go away. You just keep thinking about it. Or, you know, don't go near unless you just had a really long day and you need some comfort and release. No, it says you stay far away from her. As the Apostle Paul says, you flee from sin. Have nothing to do with it. Because if you do, there will be consequences. Listen then to what happens when we reject wisdom. Solomon gives really three consequences. There's going to be social consequences we see here. There's financial consequences that we see. And then there's even physical consequences. It says that your social consequences is your honor is going to go to others. Your years to the merciless. Matthew Henry says that you give stones to all your neighbors to throw at you. 
The financial consequences are strangers taking your strengths and your labors. The physical consequences are that at the end of your life, you groan. Your flesh and body will be consumed. So there are real life consequences to sexual sin. There's sickness that comes from it. There is real financial loss that comes from it. There is loss of reputation and witness that comes from it. You know, I bet if I asked most of you in here to tell me something about Tiger Woods, I doubt many of you are going to start listing off his major wins and all these big tournament wins that he's had. Though some of you might. But I think most of you would probably be able to talk about how sexual immorality wrecked his career. And it's amazing when you look at it that all three of these consequences were a real reality for him. There were huge social consequences. Everybody backed away from him when it happened. There were financial consequences when sponsors started dropping him and he lost a lot of money. There were physical consequences. And after this, his body just broke down. And he was not the same golfer or person after this came out. There are real consequences to our sexual sin. But then we get to verse 11 and we see a change in the speaker. The son who has rejected wisdom speaks. And it's interesting that rather than being prideful and arrogant, you actually see humility. He says, oh, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I would not listen. I would not incline my ear to hear. He has no one to blame now but himself for his foolish, arrogant ways. So I wonder, has someone ever come to you with a rebuke or maybe concerns about some of your choices? How did you respond to them? Did you listen to them? Husbands, when your wife comes to you with maybe concerns about a relationship that you have at work, maybe how much time you spend on your computer, maybe with the shows you watch, how do you respond to her? Are you frustrated with her? Do you shame her or make her feel insignificant that she has these concerns? Again, Proverbs would say, this is the way of the fool. Wives, when your husband raises similar concerns, do you listen? Or do you belittle him and tell him that maybe the things that he should just be doing better? Again, this is not the way of the wise. You know, I think the opposite of these verses then should be true of the wise. That they love discipline. Their hearts love reproof. They listen to the voice of their teachers. Because this discipline, these rebukes, they keep us on the path of wisdom. So when we reject wisdom, 
we end up like this foolish son who hated discipline, who wouldn't listen to counsel. And in the end, he groans. But then in the next five verses, Solomon gives us a better way. He doesn't just tell us, don't do this. No, he gives us a better way. And he tells us, rather than rejecting wisdom, we should rejoice in wisdom. You know, sex sometimes can seem like a bad thing because of so many warnings about it and the consequences from it. But we see here and elsewhere in scripture that oh God intends sex to be a wonderful thing that is enjoyed. That it should be a delight and a blessing to his people when done in the context of marriage. I know we already read the whole text, but I want us to read these, these five verses again. Just listen to this poetry. Drink water from your own cistern. Flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, uh, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer and a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight and be intoxicated always in her love. So we see a few different things here in these five verses. One, we see an, an emphasis on singularity. There's a lie in our culture that assumes sex is like buying a car. That you need to know what you like so that you need to test drive all these other cars to help you decide. But this idea is nowhere to be found in God's word, and in fact, it's the way other nations outside of covenant with God would be described. No, God's people are to be united to one spouse, just like we are united to one God. But the second thing we see is delight and rejoicing. God created sex for procreation, that we would be fruitful and multiply. But he also created it so that husbands and wives would enjoy one another. Not one time in these five verses is procreation mentioned. It is all about rejoicing and delighting in one another. And this delighting in one another, it is a defense against sexual temptation. So if you're delighting in your spouse, then there's no need to go elsewhere. So husbands, are you delighting in your wife? Are you intoxicated by her love? Listen, this is not a text to get your wife to look and act a certain way. Now, this text is telling us that wisdom is found in delighting in the gift that God has given you in your wife. Wives, are you delighting in your husband? Do you enjoy being with him? Do you freely give yourself to him? Or is it only when he does or says the right things? And listen, I know we live in a fallen and broken world. I know that there is physical pain and baggage that can go along with all of this. 
But brothers and sisters, I hope that you hear this afternoon that this is God's intention for our marriages. That husbands and wives would be able to enjoy one another. Paul picks up on this in 1 Corinthians 7 when he says that husbands and wives don't deprive one another except for a limited time to devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of lack of self-control. So if that is not true then for you, if you don't find yourself delighting in your spouse, then what are you doing in your marriage to work on this? You know what I mean? Do you and your spouse, do y'all talk about it? Do y'all talk about these things? Is it too sensitive for y'all to talk about? Maybe there's sin or hurt that needs to be confessed or forgiven. Maybe there's counsel that's needed from another couple here in our church or even potentially professional help. But do you see that this is a wisdom from God that husbands and wives should delight in one another? Because listen, as we've seen, there's great danger in neglecting this wisdom. That sexual temptation and sin is a vice that I think as many of us know, Satan has perfected. And for husbands and wives to delight and enjoy one another is a safeguard and a means of protection against this temptation. And Solomon says in verse 20, that if you have this thing which gives you life and enjoyment, then why would you turn to that which leads to death? And this is again where we move into this fourth point of we need to rest in the Lord's wisdom. So we saw earlier in in the first six verses that this forbidden woman does not ponder her path. She doesn't know where she's going. She's walking aimlessly. But we know, again, that this path that she is on leads to death. So now Solomon contrasts the Lord's wisdom with this woman of folly. And he says that the Lord knows your path. He has pondered it. The one who is wise will rest in God's sovereignty, knowing that he has not only pondered your path, but like we sing often here, whatever he ordains for you is right and good. That includes the spouse that you have married. That includes the fact that maybe you are still single. That includes even the parents that you have. We must also realize that nothing is hidden from the sight of God. That he sees and knows all things. So then that sin that you think that you are hiding, maybe you're hiding it from your spouse or from others, God knows and sees it. Which I think is why these last two verses are so bleak. That when sin leads us astray, it holds us fast. 
And the fool who continues in this dies for lack of discipline. Our sin will be found out. God already knows it. And he is gracious and kind to not let us continue in our sin. So the fool tries to keep it a secret. Tries to keep it hidden, not knowing that he is ensnared by it. Oh, but the wise confess their sin. They bring it to the light. They seek to put it to death. Friends, the way of wisdom is staying on the path of the Lord. The one that he has already pondered. Yet if you're anything like me, you've probably already been sitting there thinking of the number of times, possibly even today, that you have been enticed by sexual sin and even given into it. Maybe you've been thinking about the ways that you don't delight in the spouse that God has given you. You think about your past and the ways in which you have been tempted and you have gone astray after folly. I mean, I'm sure that's what Solomon's sons were thinking. I mean, who could live up to this? Their grandpa, David, couldn't do it. And he was a man after God's own heart. I mean, he was led to have an affair with a woman and then murder her husband. Their dad couldn't do it. I mean, he had hundreds of wives and concubines. And the kings after them couldn't do it. And to be honest, none of us in here can do it. Oh, but the good news of the gospel is that there is forgiveness and righteousness in Jesus Christ. That the one true king, the greater David and the better Solomon has come. Oh, and he walked this path of wisdom perfectly. That he was not like the former kings of Israel. That because of their continued disobedience, God did away with them. Oh no, Christ walked this path perfectly. And he was tempted by Satan, yet he never sinned. And this perfect, righteous king, he has taken poor and wretched sinners like us to be his bride. He has washed us of our sin and clothed us in righteousness. All this marriage talk here in this proverb, it is perfectly fulfilled in Christ. He delights in his bride. And he will never leave her nor forsake her. Listen to what Luther says about this. This is so good. Faith unites the soul with Christ. As a bride is united with her bridegroom. From such a marriage, as St. Paul says, it follows that Christ and the soul hold all things in common, whether for better or worse. This means that what Christ possesses belongs to the believing soul. And what the soul possesses belongs to Christ. Thus, Christ possesses all good things in holiness. These now belong to the soul. 
The soul possesses lots of vices and sin, and these now belong to Christ. Now, is this not a happy business? Christ, the rich, noble, and holy bridegroom, takes in marriage the poor, contemptible, and sinful little prostitute, takes away all her evil and bestows all his goodness upon her. It is no longer possible then for sin to overwhelm her, for she is now found in Christ. Friends, do you believe this good news? That in our union with Christ, that all of his righteousness and goodness is now given to us, and that all of our vices and sin is given to him? That in our union with Christ, we now have the Holy Spirit, which enables us to now walk in a manner worthy of Christ. Listen, Proverbs 5 is not written to the fools, but to the wise, to those who hope to be wise. This is written to those, again, who are in the Old Covenant. And these consequences that Solomon gives here, that they're similar to what you see in Deuteronomy 28, which deal with blessing and curses of the covenant. That if you keep the covenant, you're going to be blessed. If you disobey, you'll be cursed. So Solomon, again, is warning his sons of this. That if you choose to walk the path of folly, then curses will come upon you. But we live now in light of a new and better covenant. That those covenant curses were poured out on our Savior. And because he perfectly fulfilled the law, he received the covenant blessing. And all those who are now found in him receive it by faith. That's not to say, like we've already seen, that there are not consequences for our sin. Because clearly there is. That consequence of God doing away with and casting us off like he did to Israel and their disobedience will not happen to those who are in Christ. So if you are here this morning and you have never trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, listen, I hope this afternoon that you have, you've been confronted with your sin the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That includes you. And I hope that you have heard that the path that you are on, the path of folly, leads to death and destruction. So all those who are outside of Christ are on this path. But I also hope that you have heard that there is a better path. That there is a path of wisdom. And that path is only found in Christ Jesus. Who the apostle Paul says was the wisdom of God. So listen, if our sin makes us unholy, then we need one to make us holy again. And that can only be done by faith in Christ. That again, he took the covenant curses upon himself so that we might receive covenant blessing through his blood. So friend, if you have never trusted in Christ, 
then you stand condemned by the law of God. And all those who are condemned in this path of folly will be separated from God forever. But Christ offers you forgiveness today. You don't have to go clean yourself up first. Just like we saw earlier, Christ takes your sin and your vices and then he gives you his righteousness. So friend, trust in Christ. Walk this path of wisdom. And Christian, listen to the hope that Jesus gives us in John 16. He says, I have told you these things so that you might have peace or rest. In the world, there is tribulation. But listen to this. I have overcome the world. Oh, brothers and sisters, sexual sin is wearisome and destructive. And it is a battle that each of us must fight every day. But again, listen to this. We're about to sing Psalm 130. Listen to this last verse. So good. Though great our sins and sore our woes, his grace much more aboundeth. His helping love no limit knows. Our utmost need is soundeth. Our shepherd good and true is he who will at last his people free from all their sin and sorrow. Sin is enticing each and every one of us to turn from the path of righteousness, to turn from Christ. But brothers and sisters, remember the grace and mercy of God. Remember that Christ, our perfect bridegroom, has come and said, even though you are filthy, even though you have committed adultery against me, come to me and I will give you rest. I will make you clean. I will forgive your sins and prepare you for our wedding feast with garments that will be white as snow. This is the promise of the gospel that we look forward to and that we rest in. So don't be enticed by the false honey that looks sweet, but is bitter and leads to death. Now look to Christ, love and delight in his true words. The words that give life and joy and peace. Why would we be intoxicated with things that lead to death when we have what gives us life? Uh, brothers and sisters, this sin attempts, us, attempts to, for us to take our eyes off of Christ. But we must help one another to keep our gaze heavenly on the author and perfecter of our faith. Pray with me.